Hello, Phil here. Uh, now, in a change to the usual programme, uh, this week there's hardly any Doctor Who at all, actually, because um, in a moment you're going to hear an interview I did with Toby Haydock, who I'm sure you're all familiar with. Um, usually to do with Doctor Who, uh, but uh, this time we're going to be talking about Nigel Neal, uh, in particular a uh, adaptation that Toby's written for BBC Radio 4 of The Road, which was a... Uh, TV show that the BBC wiped along with many other Doctor Who episodes as well. So um, we're talking to him about that and also um, some of that Nigel related um, items that he's done for the um, commentary for the Blu-ray release of Quatermass in the Pit and also about my hero Spike Milligan. Um, so we'll, you hear all that in the interview coming up just off this little musical sting. <laughs> Joining me right now is actor, comedian, presenter, podcaster and writer, Toby Haydoke. Uh, one of these days I'll do one of those jobs properly enough not to <laughs> Many, many hats you're wearing there, sir. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, juggling many fish, but yeah, I yeah. muddle through. Good stuff, good stuff. Now, um, I, I suppose as this is a Doctor Who podcast, people will probably... M Listeners here will probably most recognise you from your sort of many sort of Doctor Who connections from your your stage shows and your um, your sort of moderating commentaries on the DVDs and your little specials that you've done. But um, what we're actually here to talk about today is actually Nigel Neal instead. Ah, oh, well, that's very sweet. Is it, is it because I, I just did Richard Herring's podcast? And I, I moaned a bit about the fact that all I done was talk about Doctor Who. Would um, you know? Well, well, I, 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 <laughs> I'm happy to talk to you about Doctor Who if you want to on your Doctor Who podcast. That's well, that, well <laughs> do, do you know what? It, it's actually funny because I've been doing this podcast about seven years now, and it's nice to talk about something other than Doctor Who. So. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm say, if, you, if, you, if your listeners are tuning in to hear about Doctor Who, I'm happy to talk about Doctor Who. <laughs> you, you lead the conversation, and I'll. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Okay, yes, okay. Uh, yes. I, it's, there's a sort of Doctor Who connection because uh, Nigel Neal, of course, the uh, the godfather of uh, British science fiction, uh, who famously hated Doctor Who. But, <laughs> uh, but lots of people who love Doctor Who love Nigel Neal, and I'm one of them. Uh, and uh, my adaptation of his lost TV play, The Road, uh, features Mark Gatiss off of TV's Doctor Who. So, and in fact... It's also got Adrian Scarborough, who was in um, who was in the Gunslinger one, the Tangle uh, Mercy, yes, yeah, indeed, yeah, yep. Mercy, um, Hattie Morrison, who's done a lot of big finish, and whose dad directed the original The Road, which is a lovely connection. Um, uh, 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 Colin McFarlane, who was in the Under the Lake two parter with Peter Capaldi, and he was also one of the voices of one of the aliens, I think, in um, for uh, the, the Titanic one. Is that Voyage of the Damned? That's uh, right. Yes, uh, Colin is a fantastic actor. He was also in Torchwood as a as an American general. He's a, he's a superb actor, Colin. Um, and uh, and so there's a few Doctor Who connections in the cast. Yes, I think that that covers the Doctor Who angle, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There might. Yeah, I think there might even be a line from. There's a bit of a yeah. There's, there might be a, a, a line from Doctor Who that I think I'd put in as a placeholder, and actually everybody really liked it. And I went, okay, well I won't say anything. I'm slightly annoyed now, though, because all Doctor Who fans go, oh, was that a nod to Doctor Who? And it sort of wasn't, really. It was just an appropriate line. And I'm, mm. you know, I'm, 
bit like with the Richard Herring thing. I sort of go, I'm not just Doctor Who, you know. <laughs> you're starting, again, you're starting to get a bit more actory on us now. So. <laughs> or, or I feel a bit like Al Pacino in uh, The Godfather 3. Every time I try to get out, they reel me back in. <laughs> There is no escape from Doctor Who fandom. You should know that by now. You'll never leave. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, how long has this this idea to uh, adapt the road um, been gestating with you? Because it's been one of the sort of... um, It it met the cull, didn't it, of the BBC videotapes? Yeah, uh, centuries. I mean, it's... it's, And I I discovered, once we got it commissioned, Mm. I I discovered, in conversation with, you know, various people I met at various things, and they go, what are you doing at the moment? I said, well, I'm doing an adaptation of Nigel Neal's Road. And they go, oh, God, we tried to do that. That was a nightmare. We we didn't manage it. So it was only after we had it commissioned and it was (laughs) being done that I realised actually how potentially insuperable a task it was. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have started because I'm very nervous about failure. So, uh, uh, But what happened was I'd actually pitched it about four or five years ago when I was riding high from something or I'd, I'd, anyway, I'd gotten in mm. and uh, I pitched it uh, with a producer that I worked with. I pitched it to her and, and she didn't even say anything about it, I don't think. So I thought, oh, well, that, that hasn't worked. And then this time round, because I'd had a couple of plays that had both been successful pitches that had both been made and had both gone down very well on Radio 4. Um, Again, I had a sort of in, and and, and, uh, we were looking at adapting. I was looking at doing something longer form. I quite fancied doing a serial, and uh, because uh, the plays had gone down well, I was sort of allowed to, you know, go for a slightly more sort of illustrious slot, if you like. Mm. Um, And and this producer, Charlotte, said, you know, you've got to do stuff that's, Tobias, do do something sci-fi, do something quirky. You know why they? You know that's that's why. You know that's what they'll be wanting from you. So I looked at a couple of novels to adapt as series, and we got quite close with one um, that looked like it was going to happen, then didn't for a stupid reason that I won't go into. Um, uh, uh, but 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 on this document that I sent in, I'd got four ideas. And there was a sort of gap at the bottom, and I didn't like the gap. Um, and it, there was a space for another paragraph, and I couldn't think of anything. And I thought, well, I, it'd look better if I throw in five ideas. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, the, and the chances are, you know, if you, they've got to wade through five. They, they've got to find five excuses to say no. Whereas if they've only got four, that's fewer excuses to say no. <laughs> so I, I went back to my document. I thought, I, I, I'm sure I pitched the road about four or five years ago. And I went and I found it. And the paragraph fitted neatly on the bottom of the document. So I went, oh, well, I'll stick that in. And then it looks like I've had five ideas. And um, gradually those five ideas, you know, either get, um, you know, spun out or rejected. And, and, and as I say, we got we got quite a long way with all of them with various ones falling at various hurdles. And it was down to, then it looked like two might go through. And one of, one of them was the road. And I have to say, I, I, but then there were other hurdles like that, that, that was convincing the BBC. Then when they go, well, you know, we, yes, the commissioner goes, well, that's really interesting. I like the sound of that. What are the practicalities? Then you look into the practicalities and go, right. You know, we have to speak to the Neil estate uh, who were actually love, and I thought that would be a nightmare for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I just thought that would be difficult, and actually, it was the opposite. Though. <laughs> I was like, did they have a reputation of being difficult at all, or was it, was it just something you just conjured I up? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I know, I know people have tried to 
do the rights for Quatermass, but I think Quatermass is not necessarily the Neil Estate because Hammer are involved there. So mm, I think yeah. I think that's a bit problematic. They, I, I know they'd done the Stone Tape on radio a couple of years ago, so um, we were going to sort of speak to the people that had done that, but I, uh, but uh, uh, we didn't in the end because Charlotte Riches, the producer who's produced most of my radio stuff. Um, is you know is so good uh, and and so we 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 just sort of went we went ourselves to the Neil Estate rather than sort of be a bit cowardly and ask somebody who would had success before to do it and actually it turned out to be to be be fine and then what you have to do what I had to do is I had to sort of send in my qualifications if you like to them so that they know it's not just any old Charlie doing it and I thought well they then might go you know no um and they, <laughs> and they didn't and then you have to send them a script and you then might go well they might say no now and they didn't and you know lo and behold you're eventually in a studio in made a veil going oh okay we're doing this then <laughs> um, so it was yeah it was there were lots of potential hurdles that i that i thought would fall at one of them and we just we just never did oh that's excellent, that's excellent. well as i say it, it's something because i say it's never been seen since its original broadcast and i understand there was a um australian television remake yes how unusual which, which, yes. which also got wiped <laughs> i know it's yes to lose one copy of the road is oh, no. <laughs> two seems like persecution um, <laughs> Yes, uh, so yes, because because it is such a, a a brilliant idea, and yes, how unusual that it was made by Australia, and how, how typical that it was uh, lost. And, and I know Mark Gatiss had tried to um, get a TV version going when when Nigel Neal was still alive. Mm. Um, I've actually just got annoyed with somebody on Twitter because and I'm reveling in the fact that this is coming, and it's been very exciting, and I'm very proud of it. So he goes, "Why isn't it on the radio? Why is it? Why isn't it on the telly? I want to see it on the telly." And I've just gone, well, you make it for the telly then. I managed to get it on the radio. Where <laughs> others have failed, exactly. <laughs> it's really hard. So um, I think he's trying to be funny, but uh, he didn't make me laugh. No, I bet he didn't. I bet he didn't. I'm sure, I'm sure it's, many people have been on the receiving end of me doing the same, but um, I wasn't going to be annoying either. Anyway, it's <laughs> um, just me and social media. I'm in a bad mood with social media. Um, uh, so... Um, uh, yeah, so the tape was like it's never been, it was never repeated. Um, the tape was lost, um, and uh, so unlike the Stone tape that was done on radio a couple of years ago, where there's a you know the the, the telly version exists and could be seen, so mm. they they went off piece with it a little bit and, t- and and you know used the idea, but um, really slimmed it down and changed it. And I, I thought it was very good, and they did a brilliant use of sound on it. But I'm that's sort of all beyond my ken, really. I I I sort of write. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not very technical and and wasn't looking to apart from the fact that the central idea is based around sounds. I didn't um, envisage doing anything particularly avant garde. That wasn't the the hook. The hook was really the characters and the and the and the shocking denouement. So um, I, I, I because it doesn't exist, I was quite keen to preserve as much of the original as I could. Hmm. What's doing the things that you just have to do for radio. Sometimes somebody who hasn't said anything for two pages in the radio version, they'll be given a close up every now and then to remind you that they're there and what they're doing. You, you know, you can't do that with radio characters. So somebody has to offer somebody a drink or to trip over something or, and you have to do the jog. Doing geography on radio is quite complicated. So, 
Um, you know, when you get to the woods, you have to hear people having a bit of a conversation far off and coming into us and things like that. So there are various things because you're writing for a different medium that I was obliged to do. Mm. Um, there was also the quite long talky scenes, which I mean, it's my meat and drink and I would have loved to have watched John Phillips and James Maxwell, Maxwell chatting to each other um, for, for five pages on television. On, on radio, it's not quite the same. And also we, we sort of needed to break, break those scenes up. So I added a bit more of the haunting stuff in the woods early on, the sort of, you know, spooky and owls hooting and the characters setting up the traps to capture the, the spirit sort of, uh, the, the stuff that they're doing to set up this experiment late at night to try and see if they can uh, uh, capture these ghosts or people hoaxing to be ghosts. So there's a bit more outside in the wood to create a bit of atmosphere. And then we keep cutting back to the two central characters having their sort of debate about what these manifestations could be. Um, but the characters and a lot of the lines are, are Nigel Neal's. I had to slim down. I had to. I, I consolidated two characters into one, and the other one got turned into a dog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> dogs, you, you don't have to pay for a dog on radio. Uh, they've got lots of dogs on tape. Um, so, uh, uh, surely, surely, what the Percy Edwards estate soon now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. uh, but it, and it actually, I think it's funny because I was trying to remember which one of the two characters had done which two bits, and I had to go and have a look. So I think I'm I'm quite pleased with how that's happened. And Mark said uh, well, that was nice of him as well. Mark said three three said, "Ah, oh, that's really actually helped helped with the flow of that here because we've only got forty two minutes, whereas the TV play had an hour as well." So. Um, I would have loved an hour, but um, but I like I like my drama paced at a different weight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, what was the toughest call you had to? I was going to say, what's the toughest call you had to make to to trim down the the uh, the running time of the of the script? Well, do you know, it's a lesson I always learn a little bit too late, and, and I was forced to on this, so it turned out to be okay because actually. I, I, I lost some lines that I like, but you always lose lines that you like. I've lost lines that I like out of my one-man shows and all sorts of things. But yeah. actually, the audience don't know they're there. I mean, I'm sure somebody will follow Nigel Neal's script when they're listening to it and then email me and tell me why it was awful that this line wasn't in. And, you, and I'll sort of go, well, if you hadn't been following the script, you wouldn't have known. Um, <laughs> isn't it lovely when people do that, isn't it? Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I, think just, I think you've just caught me in a moment where I'm annoyed with <laughs> Um uh, but actually, and then when I listen back to it, there are a couple of talky bits that had been initially much longer, and some lovely stuff about sort of an old carbuncle tree, and I'd and I tr really tried to conjure it because you couldn't see it, and I was really pleased with it, uh, and it just and it just sort of went. And actually, listening back to it, I went, oh. Good. I'm glad something's happened now because if I did have another two pages of chat, it, it, I think it would have been a bit ponderous. So, mm. and that's that's not no, no fault of Nigel Neal's. It, it's it's just because we didn't have the visuals of of the new location and the wood and and um, and, and as I said, we sort of slimmed down some of the philosophical chat. So we lost some nice stuff, but actually, uh, I, I think to no detriment to the play, really. No that's, no, that's good. That's good because I mean, I know absolutely. I'm quite sure a lot of other people have never heard of the road. Obviously, because it's been you know wiped and everything. Maybe not yeah. too familiar with with Nigel Neal's output. Um, so, well, don't look it up. Don't look on IMDb because the short synopsis they give of it spoils the ending. Ah, damn! Don't want to do that then. <laughs> don't, don't look it up at all because. Um, 
it's it's ingenious, but um, the ingenuity comes from the surprise. Oh, this intrigues me now. This intrigues me. So now, now I also understand uh, that the you but you also be able to use or reuse, I should say, some of the original sound effects well, from the original is, production. This is lovely because it's about a haunting in a wood, so hmm. it's about it's about voices echoing through time, uh, uh, and and um, uh, I I. Somebody sent me um, uh, the sides um, of the, of the script for that recording because that was that was obviously recorded separately to the sort of perform you know the the studio performance of the play because the, the, the sound was laid in so it was pre-recorded um, uh, and I'd got the script uh, and this was somebody sent it to me without knowing I was doing it or they sent it to somebody else it was sent to Andy Murray anyway so it was sent. It came to me just by a massive coincidence. And hmm. I was like, no, I'm actually doing this. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then, so then I dropped. And during that sort of exchange and conversation, I, uh, I, 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 said, I said to somebody, well, oh, I wonder if Marquez has actually got the, got the sound effects because he rescued all the stuff from the radiophonic workshop. Yeah, this, yeah. This paperwork was sort of saying this is recorded and, you know, put together by the workshop. So I sent Mark an email and he said, yeah, I've got a tape here that says the road, I'll send you it. Uh, and it was, it obviously wasn't, you know, the, the proper edited version of what was in the program. It was sort of like everything. I couldn't, and a lot of it couldn't really make sense of. And it, <laughs> so you had to sort of listen to this sort of spooky, strange stuff, but the voices are there and the sound effects and reverberations. And I sent them to Charlotte, the producer, and said, I, I found the original sound effects. And she went, oh, God, they, they were really spooky. Um, and so we, um, I mean, I, I think you'd have to know because we did it. We've done our own. We've done our own, but, but we fed into that. We fed in a few of the, the voices from the past, which of mm. course for a thing about a haunting is, is very appropriate. And it's a nice nod because we come very much obviously in the wake and in the shadow of, uh, of those very talented people that went before us and without whom, uh, we, you know, we, we would have no chance of, of doing this remake. No, uh, that's right. That's right. So, so how did you go about assembling your cast? Was it was it sort of like um, you had people in mind, or um, well, I'm very I'm, I'm very lucky with Charlotte, who's a brilliant producer, but she knows I'm an actor geek, and she is not threatened at all by um, you know, but by, by having, uh, in fact, she positively encourages you know suggestions, and we very much did, did the casting together, which as a which as a writer is amazing. I'm sure that doesn't happen. Um, you know, on, on television and things like that. But every single one of my radio things, uh, we've we've sort of collaborated. And so, Mark was mentioned in the pitch um, because I knew Mark was a big fan. And you have to increase your chances of getting something made. So you sort of go. Mark Gatiss is known to be a huge fan of this particular piece. Um, uh, uh, and and then you know you deal with the difficulty of going, but we haven't asked him yet, uh, <laughs> and the line. But then when it got commissioned, I sent him a thing and said, "Look, I've been commissioned to because uh, I'd never sort of send him a thing saying I want to get the road commissioned. You know, can you can you say you'll be in it? Because that's a, an awkward position to put somebody in. Yes, yes. Particularly somebody you don't know particularly well. I mean, we you know we we have we have um, had various meetings and chats, but. Uh, you know, he's he's not a mate I could call a favour on. You know, no. no. Um, but then I said, look, I've got this commissioned. Do you want to be in it? Uh, and he went, fantastic. I would love to be. So that was a good start because then you can go to agents and say, we're doing this play. 
uh, and Mark Gatiss is attached. Um, uh, and then I suggested Hattie Morahan because she's a brilliant radio actress. Uh, and that's, that's all I said, I think. I said, what about Hattie Morahan? Because I didn't want there to be a suggestion that we were casting the daughter of the man who directed the television original, because Hattie Morin's dad was Christopher Morin, who directed the television version of The Road. Um, so Charlotte went, oh, I know Hattie. She's absolutely brilliant. Uh, it would be lovely if we could get her. So we offered it to her, and she said yes. And then I think we said, by the way, your dad directed the original. So there was no suggestion that it was stunt casting. She was casting. <laughs> Yeah, she's really good. But it was a nice touch for me. And, uh, and you know, when I've been thinking about people, I thought, well, she's got the perfect voice for it. She's really experienced, a very good radio actress. And of course, her dad directed the original. Beautiful. So that worked very nicely. Um, Francis McGee from Game of Thrones, who played Yorin in Game of Thrones, wonderful, lived in Irish character actor who I was in Midsummer Night's Dream with about 20 years ago. And he remained a firm friend of mine and uh, I mean he never stops working for Francis and uh, uh, and I was really keen to get him in and he had one day free and it happened to be the day we were doing it <laughs> um, so though those and, and Colin McFarlane um, who's yeah in in been a doctor and he's in Outlander and uh, he's done loads he's in one of the Batman movies um, I knew Colin and I think he's got such a mesmeric voice and the part that he's playing needed somebody with a lot of sort of a voice of gravitas. So, um, I, but I didn't think he'd do it because it's, 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 it's not a massive part. It's an important part. Mm. Um, and he did it. He said, yes. Um, and then, but then the smallest part is actually, I suggested a few, we've got quite an interesting list for the, for the part, Francis's part and the other part, because they're the two sort of yokels who, who, who witness some of the, the spooky haunting. And they're, they're parts that need good actors, but they're very much sort of character supporting parts. And Emily, the production assistant, said, well, I've always wanted to work with Ralph Ineson. And I went, well, he'd, he'd be perfect. <laughs> but it's the part that's bottom of the credits. Um, and they asked him, and he said, yes, immediately. And you go, oh, brilliant. Um, and that, all that left was the part of the young girl. And I don't know many um, um, young female actresses based in London because it turns out we were recording in Maida Vale so we could cast in London. Hmm. Uh, otherwise, we'd have cast because uh, uh, all my stuff before this has been done in Manchester. And I've, there's a, an illustrious bevy of, of local actors we could have and would rightly have used because I believe in using local talent when you're recording locally. Um, uh, and it was, I think it was Charlotte that suggested. Susan and I didn't immediately recognize the name and then of course she's in chewing gum and uh, uh, and is a brilliant uh, comedy uh, performer and uh, as a somebody you know a comedian who doesn't like getting pigeonholed I, I was I, I was all forgiving her um, and because she's you know she's an emerging talent as well she's got a good she's got a good profile that might bring in uh, an audience that might not know the road and would be very pleased by it. so I'm, I'm delighted with 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 how the casting worked and I, I sort of had an input into to all of it really but as I said apart from Susan who I who I didn't know but uh, who was fantastic so you didn't think about sort of uh, sort of giving yourself a little cameo in there as well well um I or I is there <laughs> uh in fact there's quite a few cameos um uh that we have to sort of um stick under the cup because the haunting had to be done separately in in manchester 
Mm. Uh, uh, and, and so everybody in that is a lot of my acting mates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and, and people, there's, there's a couple of quite famous people um, uh, uh, in it, but we don't sort of, we don't say because it was a sort of let's come in and, and record and just record this. <laughs> so nobody gets a credit. Nobody, you know, it was just uh, um, uh, and one of them, I could say, is, is, is actually Andy Murray, who is Nigel Neal's biographer, who just happens to live about five minutes down the road from me. Oh, the, two lovely. People, <laughs> the two people that know most about Nigel Neal and Quatermass in the country just happen to live within a, a cat swinging distance of each other. <laughs> So, so will we recognise any of these other cameos, or they're sort of hidden behind uh, sort of special sort of, sort of sound sort effects of and uh, by, by fragmented, um, yeah, f- frag. Uh, well, I mean, anybody who knows who my other half is might, re- yeah, she, yeah. So, well, yeah, possibly. No, okay. Let's yeah. not, let's not spoil the surprise in case yeah. people do. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think the most important thing is when can everybody hear this? It's on the twenty uh, seventh of October. Which is uh, yes, two thirty on uh, Radio Four, isn't it? Yes, yes. Radio Four afternoon play on Saturday. Oh, cool. Would would you? I was going to say, would you prefer a Halloween slot for this? Well, it's been promoted. It was. It was. It was supposed to be a fright night evening um, play, Mm. Uh, and it was always going to be. I think the weekend. I think it was. But there was talk of Halloween, and then then no, they got it. So they wanted it to be on a. on the weekend, because that's a better slot. So we always knew it was going to be the 27th, and we've got reference to that in the play. The play is also set on the 27th. The original is set on, I think, the end of September, and I've just moved it slightly. Um, And the original play was on the 29th of September, 1963. I think it was 29th. Um, uh, And we were supposed to be a fright night, and then the commissioner listened to it and liked it so much he asked if uh, we could do it, uh, if it, it, he stipulated it should be moved to the afternoon slot because that gets more listeners and he wanted more people to hear it. So that's a, a big vote of confidence for us. Yes, it indeed. Indeed. Well, that's great. That's great. So um, so everybody at home, so look, look out, or uh, say people in the UK can uh, listen out for for that on this coming Saturday at 2.30 on BBC Radio 4. I know that will end up on the uh, BBC Radio iPlayer after for a month, as well. yeah. Yeah. For a month, excellent, excellent. Now, um, as we're, we're, we're still talking, we're talking about Nigel Neal. You've also um, sort of put together some commentaries for the TV version or the original version of Quatermass in the Pit. Yeah, as well, yeah. which was um, recently um, been shown on the um, BBC iPlayer. Um, yes, that's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Would well, you know what? That is actually the first time I've watched it in its entirety. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I actually sort of binge watched it, and it, it was utterly brilliant. Um, so, how did the idea? It's getting the, the you know the Blu-ray treatment. Um, how did the um, was it you that approached the uh, production company for for the commentary, or did they approach you? Yeah, there's a brilliant fellow called Charles Norton who was also did the Sharda Doctor Who uh, animated DVD. He, I first worked with him. He digitised a few interviews and stuff, and I've sort of known his name. He's he's a he's a very dogged fellow, and he uh, did a, a an Agatha Christie archive release where they'd they'd got one Agatha Christie play on audio that they wanted to release, and he'd 
a, a track down a surviving actor from it and, and just sort of got in touch with me and said, look, you, you've got a history of interviewing actors. Would you, would you come and do this, meet this chap and do this thing and do a bit of voiceover for me at the same time? And I would absolutely mm. love to. Um, so I did that. And, um, so I, you must've just known my work, I guess. Um, and, um, and I worked on Sharda with him, and um, he, we'd always talked about Quatermass because he knows I'm writing a book about Quatermass, and uh, you know we just we just sort of chat about it. And he mentioned it a while ago, and he wanted to give it the Blu-ray treatment. He he wasn't sure if if we should do you know all, all three or just the pit. Uh, and I think he went to the BBC and said, look, this is the stuff, this is what we'd like to do. And they eventually came back and I think said, well, look, as it's Blu-ray, just do the one that can be improved, which is the pit, because they have the 35mm film elements, the negatives that, that, that still exist, um, whereas Experiment and, and Creative Mass 2 are, are, are terrible quality and there's nothing that can be done to enhance them because they're just telerecordings. Yeah. Um, uh, so it was, you know, doing a bells and whistles pit. And I think, you know, I think the commission is, you know, any extras that might be kicking about, do them. Um, and he's very good at sort of squeezing every penny out of every possible orifice of the <laughs> commissioning process. I managed to get a little bit together. And we, so we'd been thinking about doing, I think we'd been thinking about doing commentaries for six episodes, but that would, at the, that point, it would have been maybe one episode of the Quatermass experiment, a couple of episodes of Quatermass two, and three of Quatermass in the pit. Mm-hmm. And then when all we were doing was Quatermass in the pit, we said, "Well, should we try and do them all?" The problem is, it's a sixty-year-old piece of television. There aren't many people left. However, I have been writing to people from Quatermass since 1989. I have many letters from lots of the cast who are no longer with us. Uh, but I also had cassette tapes of recorded memories from key players. Paddy Russell, who was the uh, obviously well-known to us as a Doctor Who director, but she was Rudolph Cartier's assistant, production assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so she'd recorded her memories for me on cassette, as had Clifford Hatz, the designer, as had Jack Kine, uh, another Doctor Who alumnus, but he was the found, founder with Bernard Wilkie of the BBC Special Effects Unit, and they cut their teeth on Quasimass, uh, and he was a very uh, engaging and lovely fellow, and he he gave me a brilliant tape of recollections. So, and they're all you know the basis of interviews that I've I've used in the book, and and you know I did have this big dilemma of going well, you know I'm, I've worked hard on this book, um, should I be giving away, you know some of the exclusives. And I just thought, well, it's a different form. And, 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 and I said to Charles, you know, don't don't use any of the stuff where Paddy and Jack talk about Quaid Mass 2. Um, let's, uh, you, you know, so, so I've still got some stuff that's, that's exclusive for the book. And I, I just thought, well, if we're only going to do this Blu-ray once, we may as well do it properly. So I gave him those tapes. So they, they, they take up some of the commentary and then the rest of it was stuff that we recorded. For, and I think there's a Nigel Neal interview that didn't come from me that he's got uh, a little bit of. Um, uh, and then we went, just again by coincidence, one of the surviving cast members, Mark Eden, lives literally just up the road. In fact, they used to live opposite us. Because, and, and I knew that because his wife, Sue, works with my other half. So we'd got a sort of in there, and I knew that, that wouldn't be too difficult. Andy Murray, Nigel Neal's biographer, lives around the corner, so add another in there. And also, you know, he was geographically convenient, so uh, he brought some hobnobs to my house and we recorded it in, in the corner of my living room. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, and then, met with Hobnobs, fantastic. Yeah, with Hob, <laughs> Hobbs Lane, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then um, there was another actor who, who lives um, down south, so we went to see him one day. We got uh, uh, Clive Doig, who I know, award-winning producer, but he was a cable basher on Quatermass in the Pit, and he did us a bit, and Dick Mills did us a bit, because Dick had just started at the BBC, and he worked with Desmond Briscoe on the sound. So we got a sort of, it's very much a mosaic, not just of people, but of styles, because some of them are archive interviews, and some of them are present, some of them were done you know, in a in a studio and some of them weren't. And then for the bits where there were still gaps, I've done a sort of audio presentation where I sort of describe the genesis of the show and some of the things I've gleaned from the paperwork and some of the stories behind the actors and that sort of thing. So so it's a sort of it's it's very much a, a mixture of different things, but I think that means it's it's enough to sustain the interest and Certainly been a labour of love. Um, I was about to say it as there's been a labour of love for, for you because I mean it, it sounds like you've you've you sort of spent most of your life putting the work in for this really. Yeah, and um, yeah, and uh, it was really only should have been justified really in terms of budget. It should have I should have done a day's work on it, and I, I mean I did six different recording days. So, but that's just because nobody was available at the same time, and you just go well again. Because I, I, I found all these photographs as well that would have been lovely exclusives for the book, uh, but it, it really. But I just went, oh, we can't have Quatermass in the pit with a photo gallery, and me knowing that there's more photos that could go on because I've got them. So, <laughs> so I gave them. I gave them all my photographs as well. Um, uh, now, obviously, they're not my copyright photographs, but we wouldn't be able to see them if I hadn't found them in a cupboard. So. Um, uh, so there's, there's there's about 35, 40 photos people haven't seen as well. Wow, crikey! So there's 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 definitely more to come then. Certainly more to come. So yeah. So is is this um when's this actually coming out the the blue November fifth. So say again, sorry, Toby. November Oh right, excellent fireworks night. So uh, yeah. oh fantastic. I, honestly, the 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 um the regeneration, the the the, the restoration of the of the film looks absolutely extraordinary. They sent me the title sequence the other day and there's detail in it that I, I mean, wouldn't have believed. It looks absolutely fantastic. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. So, so I really enjoyed what they, the version they showed on the iPlayer. Um, just, I'm, I'm fortunate for you, for you for the BBC. That, that well, that's just the right hand and the left hand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but it's, but it's, but a lot of people seem to have seen it on the iPlayer and then got oh, well, I'm just going to get it then. Because it is, it's a brilliant, brilliant. It's one of the best things BBC's ever made. Yeah. So you know, if you're a Doctor Who fan and you haven't seen, and uh, never mind the film, the film is fine. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to say, what's what's your um, your opinion on actually on all the Hammer Quatermass films? Um, I, I, well, I'm I'm, uh, and I can understand why people are, but I'm not a fan of Brian Donlevy's interpretation of Quatermass. Um, no, he's very um, brusque, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and um, and I, and I and I I think the simplification of some of the the, the cleverer and more intellectual ideas in the creative mass experiment, in particular, are a bit of a shame. So mm. um, the idea, you know, the idea in in the TV series is that uh, the astronaut that has returned is an amalgam of all three uh, of the astronauts that went in space, whereas in the film he's just turning into a monster. So yeah, you lose yeah. a lot of the complexity of that. There's lots in the films that's very good. Richard Wordsworth as, as the astronaut is superb. Um, 
that I think the second film is possibly better than the TV version, just because the TV version of Quatermass 2, I think, loses its way in the last episode in particular. And they just get rid of all of that in the film. And so it's a leaner telling of the story. Um, uh, but again, I, 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 you know, I still think it's hampered by by Don Levy, but I actually think it's quite a, a gripping and compelling com- paranoid thriller. And I like the black and white. Uh, and the film of Pitt is good, but I am I so love the TV version that that it's only ever going to suffer suffer in comparison because there are so many elements of the TV version that are magnificent. Um, from from uh, I mean I think the, the central performances and I include in that Richard Shaw who plays Slavin the drill operator um, and the sequence where he is stricken by uh, the alien crepitations and and under the influence of the alien inheritance I think are absolutely magnificently done um, and it's a brilliant idea it's such a complex and clever idea and a synthesis of horror and sci-fi and also sort of social commentary in a way but not trite social commentary something more primal. Um, it's so clever. I, I just think it's extraordinary. It is. It is, it is a fantastic piece of television. And, and if I say um, everyone who's listening is to certainly um, you know, search out this, this Blu-ray because you will not be disappointed. As, as Toby says, it is a fantastic bit of television. So, um, I mean, it's certainly... Um, I, think, I don't know what it is maybe about certain audience or certain... Audiences, they say they can't watch it because it's you know it's black and white. It's old. It's a bit slow. It's stagey. But um, no, this this is anything but that. I feel. Yeah, I think it holds up remarkably well. It does. It remarkably well. It really does. Now, um, now we we did actually try to sort of get an interview going um, a, a, a sort of about about three or four weeks back, didn't we? But um, it yes, was that my fault? Did I lose track in the end? I've been a bit distracted. <laughs> Well, no, I, I had to, I had to sort of pull out of the uh, sort of the day before, didn't I? Unfortunately. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. So. Um... Oh, that makes a change. <laughs> well, I was going to say because we, we, I was trying to arrange an interview with you because at that time you had your, um, it was to mark the centenary of, of um, a hero of mine, um, Spike Milligan. Yeah. Um, who, um, as I say, would have been a hundred this year, and the was it Beast Radio Three, did a sort of like an all strangled. Um, Basically, it was on his tombstone. Actually, I told you I was ill, and yep. you con- yes, you contributed a um, a play to it, "Going Going Goon." Yeah, yep. So, um, so what is your? Have you been fascinated with Spike Milligan all your life, or was it just something you sort of come to late later on in life? I, well, I was. This was a really weird commission. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a comedian, so I you know I used to um, I used to devour comedy as a kid, including Spike Milligan, and we always had his books. Mm. And I must, and, and uh, I remember watching the the film of Adolf Hitler, my part in his downfall. Um, so Spike was always around, and I live. I was fortunate in that I lived in a house. We didn't have much money, but I lived in a house that was that was packed with with books. Um, so so Spike stuff was always around, and I, this I did not instigate this project. I got an email from a producer I had never worked with before. Uh, I did, uh, or no, I had worked with her as an actor. I worked yeah. with her as an actor, but I'd never writ- written for her before. Uh, and I talked to her occasionally at do's and things. And she she sent me an email, oh, two years ago now, and said, "I, I want to do something for Spike Milligan's centenary, and um, uh, you know, we want to do a trilogy of plays." Um, I've asked Jessica Hines and Lee Mattinson, uh, and would like you to be the third one. And when somebody goes, "Well, 
you're going to be a writer in the same sentence as Jessica Hines and, and, and Lee's no slouch either. He's done lots of proper playwriting. Um, I just thought, well, I can't, I can't not do that, even though I didn't feel hugely qualified. As I say, I, I'm a, a, a watcher and admirer of Spike, but I wouldn't say an, a, you know, an aficionado in the same way that I am about Doctor Who, but as somebody mm. pointed out to me a bit further down the line, you, you don't have to know as much about something as you know about Doctor Who to be well enough, versed, <laughs> more versed in it than most people. Which is a, which is fair enough, um, and uh, but it, it was one of those projects that sort of every six months I'd get a thing saying it might still be happening, it might not be, and I'd said and she'd said you you know if you were to do it what would you what would your idea be? So I threw a couple of ideas, and I remember talking to my friend Peter, and he we talked about the millig animals and various bits and bobs, and he was a good sounding board. So I sent in these ideas, and I remember it was years ago because I was in temporary accommodation because we were having work done on this house. And this, the work on this house has been done for two years. Um, and um, and I'd occasionally bump into Pauline in a lift and she'd say, oh, Radio 3 are still interested. And then this, but it was for Spike Centenary, which is in March. And that sort of came and went. And I mm. thought, well, that's, that's definitely gone then. And then I got a message from her saying, well, no, because it's still the centenary year. So there's still a possibility. And then I was, I'd just got a part in a film. I was rehearsing Romeo and Juliet I was trying to juggle the fact that I was rehearsing for Romeo and Juliet but they wanted me to film this film rehearsing in Manchester and the film was being done in Swansea and I was going oh god I can't I can't do both I went, oh no so I'm having this big dilemma and, and and then I got this email going yeah we're the the spike thing's happening and uh, it's going to be on at, at the end of September so you've got to write it now and it was like oh god I've got <laughs> I've got to write another one um so I suddenly had way too much to do uh and um and and it was so it was it was a suddenly it was a a bit of a seat of the pants thing and and she'd actually said you know let, let's have a look you know I want you to, I I sent in some ideas and story notes and said, no go, go back to the original idea you pitched and i had to go I, I can't remember what that is and i had to go back through all of my old old emails to work out what this idea this brilliant idea i'd had was in the first place which was spike on the gates of heaven with st peter um and then i i sweated blood over this blooming thing i have to say it was hard <laughs> it was it was because it had to be sort of faithful to him as a the, the easiest bit was actually the jokes the easiest bit was spike's voice yeah which which, which came to me fairly easily and I, I was worried that it wouldn't because i'm i'm i think my sense of humor is is slightly different from his um i'm sort of wry and cynical whereas he's sort of scatty and mad and wordplay and all of that but that actually that was fine i was really pleased the first draft i did i went oh i've got his voice but i didn't know what story i was trying to tell at all and um I think I tried to cover it up with lots of clever jokes and she saw through it completely. <laughs> tried to tell her, I, went, I don't know. Uh, and it was murder. And then we, she, we just batted it back and forth. And, and, and it's sort of just at one, at one point, at one draft, it just sort of all clicked into place. Um, and I have to say, I, I sort of, my other half was listening to it last night and, and I, it's, it's, you know, it's gone down very well and it was, it was very well received. And, and the sort of mix between the, the humour and the pathos worked because we did it in front of a live audience worked in a way that I hadn't anticipated so I'm quite pleased with how it's turned out really having been very very worried about it 
Well, I, I, so I, 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 or, you know, with, without trying to come across as at all sycophantic, I absolutely loved it, actually. Oh, great. I've, oh, I've, great. Yeah, I really did. Um, actually, the just sort of giving some background, the first time I listened to it, I was actually um, in the car driving, and the bit where Spike met himself as a young boy yeah. um, actually brought tears to my eyes, actually. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yes. So that, that, so if, if, that, if that's what you're, ho- if you're hoping for from your audience, would it work with me? So. Well, it's, it's funny. The pathos just sort of came out of it. I think it was when I was talking to Pauline, the director, on the phone and talking about sort of childhood. My kids are now 14 and 18, and I'm, you know, I'm going through a sort of period of sort of, you know, regretting time not spent with them and the fact that, you know, I don't have sort of as distinct memories as I thought one would of six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, and that's sort of gone now. And the, mm. the fact that childhood is so fleeting, and, and as children we are so different from how we are as adults. And um, I got sort of rather sad about that, so I wrote a sort of sad version of it, and she really liked it, and I went, oh, all right. <laughs> and it did tie in with a lot of what Spike said about you know, lost childhood and stuff like that. So I was, I, I, it was really important to me that it, 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 it had to be, you know, all of these feelings that I had through a filter of how Spike Milligan, as far as I could tell, and I, I consumed a lot of his work and interviews over the course of doing it. Um, uh, so, th- so that was quite important. But I think, yeah, I think that's, that's how it turned out. Well, so, as you say, because I think, you know, during all the... the um as you say, through his books, it, it certainly does come across that it seems to be when he was happiest when he was a child. And I think Spike never yeah. really, truly grew up, to be honest. Um, he, I think he, he always was that child. Yes, well, and that was the message of the play, really, in the end, was, yeah. you know, he, he was ruining the fact that, you know, he, he, he stopped being a child and, and actually, you know, the, the St. Peter says to him, well, no, actually, you you kept the child alive through your work and through your approach to life. And that's what he needed to realize was that, yeah. uh, that it wasn't tragic that the child died because Spike talked a load of nonsense and, <laughs> and, and had that childish glee and that childlike approach to life. And so actually, you know, the child, the child didn't die. I was, I benefited from a fantastic cast as well. I have to say, um, uh, it was amazing that, uh, that we could get that cast together Mark Heap, Mark Heap yes, and Pippa Haywood as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so but, it was fantastic. Jonathan Keeble, who um, is a brilliant radio actor, who played St Peter, who is—I mean—he's a superb actor. Jonathan, he's in more radio broadcasts than you'd think because he's so versatile and so different. And I, I know Charlotte was saying that she worked with him once, and he was three different people in one scene, and nobody could tell. He's—he's <laughs> such, he's such a strong radio actor, Jonathan, and I've worked with him before. I'd always got on with him, and um, and and uh, and I, I I was so pleased that uh, that we got him on board um, to to give it, you know, to, just because he's one of those actors that you I'd written a couple of lines I didn't think were very good, and then I heard him do them, I thought, oh no, they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> so what I mean, um, you said you you read a lot of books to sort of you know and um, sort of listened and watched interviews with him. I mean. Um, when, when you say you, you you were growing up and the, the, you had the Milligan books there, was it his his poetry or was it his his, um, his very famous uh, war memoirs? It was it was more the the comedy, the sort of the nonsensey poetry stuff and the the Milliganimals stuff like that. I think I'd read. I was trying to remember. I'd read Adolf Hitler, my partner's downfall, which isn't actually that very long. It's, um, it's a very short book, isn't it? Very yeah. short. And I'd read Pakun. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but I got I got everything. Um, I think I, I you know I grabbed the ones I'd got a compendium of his work and a couple of other bits that I'd had kicking around for a while, and I and I and I went to my mum's to see what we got there. Um, but then I I got some of the other because I, I definitely hadn't read all of his war volumes because there's about six of them. Um, so so I did all of them and I did Pakun again. Uh, and then I and I as I said I got some of his I got a lot of his poems and it turns out there was one about St Peter at the Gates of Heaven which was just a coincidence um, and uh, actually a lot of that stuff went in and then came back out again um, and I think there were a couple of drafts which were too too fastidious about you know quoting him bits and bobs from here and there there's a lot of the dialogue is quotes from him that I've that I've put into different um, circumstances yeah. Uh, uh, but I, yeah, and, I, and, I, and when I was writing it, I, I, I'd got a load of interviews with him. Um, I, I, oh, I'd got a, a Spike Milligan at the BBC um, compendium, audio compendium of a lot of his stuff. And I just played this stuff as I was writing it. So yeah. I do that quite a lot when I'm writing is I have something sort of, even if I'm not actively listening to it, it's there subconsciously feeding its way in. So a lot of yeah, a lot of that was actually Spike as a man talking. Uh, so yeah, I was no, I was I was swamped in Milligan. <laughs> I was going to say because I mean, did you ever listen to all? Obviously, we're um, we were born far too late to, to listen to the Goon Show when it when it when it went out. Um, I must admit, I didn't get into the Goon Show until I think it was about twelve or thirteen. I think BBC Radio Two repeated some. Yeah, I was going to say they repeated them, didn't they? I, I remember listening to them at my. My house and my brother does a very good oh, falling in the water impression. So, so it was always on. Mm. And then I got the I got the Scarlet Capsule one because it's back quite yeah, Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I listened to a lot of them when I was. So no, I have listened to the Goons a lot over the years, and I got a couple of I got a couple of cassettes. I think because um, I used to listen to comedy cassettes a lot when I was at university. Um, so again, yeah, they were they were wired into my comedy DNA, if you like, um, and uh, and I had those playing over and over when I was doing it as well. In fact, there was much there was much more goons in it. There was one point I was trying to be clever because of Saint Peter. I was trying to make Saint Peter Peter Sellers, Sellers yeah, tie up, <laughs> and, it, and it never quite worked, and it just always was a little bit contrived, and I wasn't actually quite sure what I was doing with that anyway but it wasn't for want of trying but in the, <laughs> in the end i didn't i was gonna say to try and get someone to do an impersonation of peter sellers as peter sellers is quite difficult because he was is he had quite a, a sort of a fairly ordinary voice yeah. really didn't he i bet if i'd asked jonathan keeble to do it he would have done it <laughs> <laughs> uh, he could have done oh well oh well it's 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 uh well no it's uh, it, it was it was fantastic it really was it really was oh. fantastic. And I say, every, everybody, you can still hear this on Booster Radio iPlayer if you search for I Told You I Was Ill. Yes, it was drama yes, Drama on three, contains strong language. It was under so many different umbrellas. I told you I was ill, and I think it's on till about the 7th of uh, November or, or, or maybe just before that because it, it was on at the same time as Bloody Doctor Who. <laughs> it was. <laughs> So that was the seventh of October, wasn't it? I, I, I did notice as well when um, when the BBC tweeted um, that it was on. They actually missed your name off the. Uh... Uh, yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> I thought this is sort of like they were the way that they used to treat Milligan as well. The BBC. So what a story of my life. I I seem to get forgotten by everybody. <laughs> 
Oh, I couldn't believe that when they when they put that out. So, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. So, um, so anyway, um, don't forget, folks, you can hear that on BBC Radio Player, and don't forget this Saturday, two thirty PM on BBC Radio Four, The Road. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, Toby, thank you so much for for joining us this evening, and your your very 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 busy schedule, and um, I hope hope you'll come back on um, sometime soon. Oh, well, I, I will keep, come on if you'll have me. Yes, no, yes. thank you. Thank and, you. We to, and we managed to staff Doctor Who as well. Yeah, we did, didn't we? I like Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, uh, now we've mentioned it, now we've mentioned it. Well, how are you enjoying the new series? I am enjoying the new series. Um, I am. Uh, I, and I'm delighted with um, the, the sort of way that people seem to be talking about it again. And, and, it's, and it's, it's suddenly on everybody's lips and on the sort of lips of people that... I would have expected it perhaps not to be on in the in the past couple of years. So it, it you know it's it's um, it's reinvigorated the brand. I think would be the parlance used by the sort of people I would have shot at dawn if I was in charge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know yeah, she's, she's, yeah the brand going, or the franchise as a word isn't really it? What's interesting is that she, you know she's the doctor and the fact that she's a woman has made absolutely no difference to the fact that she's clearly the doctor. Um, and I, th- I actually, I was slightly worried about the overcrowded TARDIS, but I really like all of the regulars. I think they're great. Now it's not overcrowded at all. I thought, you know, short, short episodes with, you know, sort of one-off stories with, with four protagonists, I thought might be a bit problematical and that somebody would have to be in a cupboard or tripping over a lot and, uh, you know, enjoying two days sleep in the Delta wave augmenter. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I think all, I love all the regulars. I think, I think there's a really sort of modern vibe about it. I, I knew Bradley Walsh would be good. I think he's always been an underrated actor, and I was slightly puzzled when people went, "Oh, but he's from the Chase." You go, "Well, he also did Law and Order and Coronation Street, and he was brilliant in the Sarah Jane adventure." Exa- I've been saying exactly the same thing. So, so yeah, he was fantastic in that. Yeah, uh, and I think he's brilliant. I he really got me when he realised on on the latest episode when he was standing up and he realised that he was the reason she was going to have to move on the bus. I just thought that. I just thought he was so good. He said so much there. Um, so I think it's been, yeah. I think it's a really interesting. Uh, it's got a different feel to it. It's so I, I, I wouldn't know how to. I'm not quite sure how to quantify it and, and, and assess it until we get to the end of the year. But it's it's definitely recognisably Doctor Who. But it's it's new Doctor Who. It's mm. Doctor Who being done a different way. But I think they've gone about it really well and. Um, and I'm really happy with the, the state of it. Yes, I think there's. I think at the moment we're only three episodes in, but I think there's certainly something for everybody in this at the moment, which is, which is no mean feat. And it seems to me everybody I know is going to be in it. I mean, they they they, they when it flashed up at the end of coming soon, I went, oh no, name name dropper. So uh, well, I say yeah. it's, it's certainly been a big hit in my house because my my wife is not a lover of Doctor Who at all. Um, and when they did the the big unveiling during Wimbledon, um, everybody stopped what they were doing. Even my wife stopped what she was doing and, and looked at. Oh, which went. Oh, it's her. I like her. So she yeah. started watching it. And then I think it was um, during the Ghost Monument. It'd been on about five or ten minutes, and somebody phoned her up and she said, uh, "Do you mind? I, 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 Doctor Who's on." Yes. Yes. So there you are. So- Love it. <laughs> 
I never ever thought I would ever hear my wife say that. That's fantastic. That's yeah. a sexy story. That isn't it. So. Yeah. I think it's you know it's given the show a a, a, a shot in the arm and uh, and and you know I think guaranteed its future. I certainly hope so. I know I know there's rumours going around at the moment it, they might be having a gap year next year, but um, well we shall well, see. We shall you see. Know, a long time ago that would have appalled me, but now I sort of think well. If that's what's going to make it good, that the creatives need a bit of a, a recharging of the batteries, nobody's going anywhere, and it means it becomes an event again. And yeah. frankly, at, at my age, a year goes so blooming quickly now. <laughs> I, mean, I, I still yeah, think, tell me about it, Crikey. It's late February. What's happened? So <laughs> it'll be here before we know it, anyway. Yeah. So long as it's good, you know. I think that. I think that's. I mean, I, I think we we spoke about it on our on our last podcast and i think i said exactly the same thing i don't mind waiting if it means we get good quality television yeah you know yeah. you know rather it's sort of they take the time over and not rush it through and, and it looks rushed um i dare say that that's not going to be that's not their that's not what they want to do so they want to make it as best as they possibly can so absolutely, absolutely. If, you have, if you have to wait longer for it then i'm, I'm okay with that so yeah yeah they can watch the blu-ray of quite and the pit while they wait for it Exactly. <laughs> Good plug. <laughs> okay then. Well, that's. Um, I think that just about wraps this up, Toby. So we'll, uh, we'll come back to the end again. So, Toby, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who podcast alliance. Who's he?